Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I am your host, Gary Cacciolillo. And before we get started, I want to thank everybody for listening and also thank the contributors to the show, who are Candace Sanderson, author of The Reluctant Messenger, Joseph Sinkavit, author of How to Kiss the Universe, Ms. Aida, author, psychic, spellcaster, root worker, and witch. You can find her at MsIeda.com, M-I-S-S-A-I-D-A.com. And this episode is being sponsored by Ginger Glasser. And you can find Ginger at tarotbyginger.com. She's a tarot reader, evidential medium, and healer. And you can find her at tarotbyginger.com. And now, without further ado, our guest for today, the great fortune teller. Psychic, mystic. Oh, yeah. Um, what's that other word? All round, all round. I was going to say all round good guy, but uh, <laughs> I always have to give you some kind of extravagant right. intro. <laughs> well, well, calling me a fortune teller um, isn't a particularly respectful. Um, uh, label. No, um, it's bad, right? Yeah, in the like old days, thing. you know, yeah, um, because I don't tell fortunes, it's true. right? I, mm-hmm. I don't do, I don't do that. I tell tales, but not fortunes, you know. <laughs> but, but, um, it's, 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 um, let me think of what it, it's, um, an old fashioned way to describe something that's not particularly well respected so i take the fortune tower part back okay okay i was trying to think of the, i think the word i was trying to think of was prognosticator is that okay sure somebody sure a good pro cost sorry say it again i think it's prognosticator Okay, that's not that. That's you know. I think I'm not sure. Though. Yeah. I'll have to Google it to sure. find out if that's an actual sure. word or not. I think so. Um, you know, I now say um, on my you know on my website and things like that. I say um, I'm an um, uh, an intuitive um, psychic. Um, and the only reason I do that is because, you know, is is because other people in the business, in this field, um, started putting down what I called myself previously, and that was, I'm a psychic. And, and they said that that was old-fashioned, and in the same level of fortune teller. So I decided to say, okay, well, you, you know, I'm an intuitive counselor psychic. And I did that just because just I was get I was getting hassled about uh being called a psychic or so or calling myself a psychic. Wow. But I don't particularly uh care about labels. Uh-huh. Um because, you know, I know I've met a lot of people since I kind of came out of my semi-retirement a few years ago. And, uh, you, you know, this coming January, January of 2024, I will celebrate 50, 
59 years of being a professional psychic. 59 wow. years, yeah. And and um, I've never really been all that hung up on what I would get called, but psychic was good. But people that do this work, they call themselves all kinds of weird things. And, and um, you know, what is an intuitive medium or a psychic medium? Well, come on. If you're going to be a medium, you're psychic. Um, wh why do you have to see a psychic medium? Or, or why do you have to put all those labels on it? Why, why don't you just do it? Right. I've always felt like that. So um, as I got put down for being so simplistic, I'm saying you, you don't have to make a big deal about what you're called. Just be really good at doing it. There are a lot of different labels out there. Yeah, and it's it confuses confusing. the hell out of people. And it's all pretty much the same mm -hmm. when you're actually doing it. Um, channeler, um, and it just goes on and on and on and on. Um, and when I first started, there weren't very many names for doing things, except what I've been learning over the years, especially the last three years, is that, and, and especially since I have started having my own podcast, is that all the things that people put labels on, I just did. And and I I did, I just did what needed to be done rather than being a channeler, rather than being um rather than being an intuitive, rather than being a remote viewer, I just did what I needed to do. And I remember in um around 70 1977 78 i was i was touring um doing readings and appearing on on radio and tv shows and incidentally i was the first canadian psychic to appear on um radio and tv shows and do psychic readings on the air i was I, like i was the first one now there wasn't a big gap between me the first guy and and the second or third or fourth but i was the first and i was in um london ontario which is a small city a little bit west of toronto in the middle of the snow belt incidentally and um i was on radio station c oh it'll come to me anyway um they had the biggest blizzard in history that, that week that I was there. And I remember this man, and, and I was in my 20s, and this man came to me for a reading. He was much older than me. In fact, he was retired. And when I asked him what he did for his living, he said that he was a... Um, court stenographer so he was in court and they didn't have those fancy machines when he was working he did it by hand and i said to him that's really fascinating how many words a minute can you write 
And he said, I don't know. I just write what they tell me, what they say. And I thought, that's profound. And I realized that I don't look for a word to describe what I do. I just do what needs to be done. And what I've learned in the last few years is that, yes, indeed, I do remote viewing. Yes, indeed, I channel. Yes, indeed, I do all those things. It just wasn't important to call it anything except giving the person the answer. And that's what my work is about. When you're a mathematician, or when you take a math exam, if you just give the teacher or the professor or write down the answer on the paper, you, you don't necessarily pass. Because on a math test, you have to show how you get to that answer. My job is the answer. Mm -hmm. So I've never worried about what it looks like, what it feels like, what it's called, I look for the answer. So that's what I focused on throughout my existence, just coming up with the answer. Never mind the label. Right. Well, um, I mean, there's a necessity. Yeah. Not like, it's not like you had a choice because that was what you were doing. I, I just so, did it. So, so you, yeah. you, you automatically right. developed those that's skills. That's right. Yeah, there is a lot of focus now on all this different stuff. There's the empathic, psychic, evidential mediums. There's, um, I don't know, physical yes. psychics. There's and, um, channelers. And, and, yeah. and the more you label it, the more you compartmentalize it, the more complicated you make it, and the harder it is to do. Yeah. Aren't you taking something that's completely wide open to us? And jumping it down to absolutely I'm only go down this one channel. Absolutely, absolutely, Abs absolutely. So when when I um, do my work, I look for the answer, and I'm not. I don't care how I get to it. My job is to give them the, the, the answer, and I, for many many years, I used to teach a one day seminar on how to be psychic. Mm -hmm. And it's been more than 20 years since I um, taught one of those classes. And, and by the way, I'm going to be doing one um, th this summer on, on on how to be psychic, too. First time in more than 20 years. Is but it live? What are going to be online? It's, it's going to be live. Well, it'll be on Zoom video. Like, it'll be a class, mm -hmm. um, like, four or five weeks. Anyway, when people ask me about being psychic, what what I say is become aware of what's obvious. And when you become aware of what's obvious, then more becomes obvious. And then when you become aware of what's more obvious, then more becomes obvious again. Until you get to a point that what's obvious to you or me, is no longer obvious to other people. 
And that is how you start off being psychic. Never mind the words, just look at the person in front of you and see them and use all of your senses. Touch, taste, smell, see, feel. Well, you know, touch, taste, smell, see, and hear. Okay, so all of those senses, those five senses come together and create a sixth sense. And that's called extra sensory perception. Mm -hmm. So use what you are, what those senses, and then just follow that. So giving you an example of become aware of what's obvious. Um, I, I'm not very um, technical or mechanical. I, I don't have the greatest amount of dexterity to make things. But years ago, um, I, I got interested in painting houses, um, insides of painting houses. And, and um, one of the houses I lived in for five years, I painted from top to bottom five different times. And, and I used to paint, you know, um, people's, my friends' houses and inside. And, you know, I thought I was pretty, you know, pretty hot stuff when I was a painter. Uh, that was my hobby, right? It was my avoc. And I had many avocations like that. And um, I had a friend, guy's name was Hugh O'Malley, and, and he was a builder and, and, and a contractor. And as I said, I thought I was a pretty good painter. And usually when somebody who doesn't know very much about painting, when they see someone's painted their place, they'll say, wow, what a great job. But what they're really saying is, I like the color. But this day, Hugh came to visit me about something, and I had just finished painting this room. And and, and he came in and looked around, and he said, who, who did the paint job? I hope you didn't pay for it. And, 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 and I said, well, um, I did. And he said, "Oh, oh yeah, well, that's, hmm, nice, not, not, not good job, good job, Robert." And I say, "Well, wait a minute. What are you seeing that I'm not seeing?" And he went around and showed me the mistakes I made. And to him, those mistakes were obvious, but I didn't see them. And when he showed me the mistakes, I never unsaw them again. Mm -hmm. But what else happened, even now today, 20 years later, when I go somewhere and I see a paint job, I see the mistakes or the errors because they're obvious. So I've spent my life tuning into, looking at, experienced people. And even when I go on a show, that a call-in, radio show call-in, like on Coast to Coast, but I have to tell you about that one, one it's in today. Uh, anyway, when, when I go on, when I, I, I don't do very many call-ins anymore, but, but it was a big part of, of, of my career. When I go on a call-in show, I ask people 
Tell me your first name and where you're calling from. Think of a question, but don't ask it. Okay. So tell me your first name. You know, my name is John and I'm calling from, you, you know, um, downtown Vancouver or whatever. Um, and I say, thanks a lot, very much. And then I just start talking to the person. And I might start off with saying, okay, who's the person that's got the migraine right now? And they'll say, oh, it's me. Or, you, you know, um, by the way, do you have like a blue car? Or, you, you know, I that's what happens right off the bat. Well, when I'm doing that, especially when I get into the show and, and I get into a flow and get into a rhythm, it's so obvious to me even though the people in the audience aren't hearing it or noticing, they just hear me saying, oh, by the way, um, you're at home. And, and in that, my early days, you know, phones used to be attached to the wall. So, you, you know, I'd say to, you know, my name is Mary. I'm calling from, you, you know, lower Manhattan. I'd say, Mary, thanks a lot. Um, by the way, are you holding the phone with your left hand? Yes. Okay. Oh, bye. And, 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 and are, are, are you in your living room? Oh, yes. Okay. And if you turn your head to the left, um, is that where you're looking out your front window? Yeah. Okay. Uh, by the way, up in the right-hand corner, is that where is that where the window got cracked? And, you know, I would do stuff like that. In my psychic awareness, because I was in a zone on the air like that, mm -hmm. I would start to think, Robert, you're going to get caught. This is obvious. This is really obvious. Every, anybody can see that. So that's what it's like when I'm doing a, a call-in show like that. But I would often have, uh, I would get uh, um, uh, copies of, of, of shows. They'd get recorded, and I just forgot the title of them. Uh, but, but when I would listen to the um, show the next day that was recorded, and I would hear myself doing something like, okay, so you're in your living room, you're in your kitchen now, put your hand over the table, move it this way. Oh, is that where it got burned? And I do that stuff. And I've got record, it was called air checks. Um, and I, and I've got recordings of that still. And I did that on coast to coast, incidentally. And, and when I'm listening to a performance or, you know, psychic performance like that, I can remember what I was thinking at the time. And then I would listen to this and I'd think, oh, that's not obvious at all. But what I was doing was being tuned in. I've evolved and stretched my mind. And what's obvious to me is not obvious to others. But it starts off with looking for and seeing what's obvious and then expanding it. That's how I was able to connect with the guy that was in the coma. I, I didn't worry about him being in Germany and in a coma unconscious and and being eaten apart by uh um 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 
the the most potent super virus superbug in on the planet i just look for the answer rather than looking at the details but i look for what was obvious in that moment so expand your mind become aware of what's obvious and then more will become obvious and that's the key so never mind what it's called just simply use your senses well that was an interesting rant yeah well it was very interesting because i was just thinking about like what, what like what is it like to not see the things that are not obvious and how would they appear and well you pushing, don't do and, that and, and, and pushing that perception like 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 when I walk up to somebody and I start talking to them and I start saying to myself okay here's what's obvious for me now yeah let me see let me see how I can expand yes that perception of this person well yeah well just look at them use your senses look at them look at their face look at their eyes you know like don't you know like stare them down or Mm -hmm. you know just become aware of them look at what they look at their physical shape look at their hands look at their look what how they're dressed just become aware look at how they sit look at how they breathe when you see that then you'll see more and more and more and more um when i worked at you know i started off i was 15 and a half years old when i started working at this full time i was homeless and and i'd always been intuitive always did readings um but never actually you know disciplined and i started working at this tea room that's how i got off the street and and then as time wore on I I got involved with different psychic organizations and there was um, um, an organization in Toronto called the Toronto Society for Psychical Research. And it was financed by um, a Canadian um, in, 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 in that he was in the air, you know, in the 1960s, he was, um, he would have been today's version of a billionaire. So he was, and and he financed this place, and it was um, in 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 a mansion, and and he hired a guy, um, Doctor George Owen, and and uh, George was a mathematics professor um, from Oxford University. Him and his wife ran the that institute in toronto and and they were studying and doing research on psychic psychic phenomenon and uh, i was going through a lot of experiments in those days and this one night um the experiment uh, and and most of the people at that place were the intellectuals they were doctors lawyers um you, you know people that you know had some pretty fancy education and stuff and the vice president of this institute was uh um not a gynecologist but a uh a baby doctor anyway just the name will come to me in a moment uh um and he brought 
um, a pile of uh, blotter, blotters, you know, the paper blotters. And on the blotters were blood spots from his patients. And, and what my job, now you couldn't get away with this crap in no, uh, today, but, but um, on the ink blotter, these, these uh, blood spots, I would hold the blotter and I even put my hand on the blood spots and I would tune into the person whose blood spot I was sensing. And everybody's making their notes and stuff like that. And and it was, you know, they kind of were impressed. And, well, certainly the um, uh, the doctor was. And then he shared with the group, because they all watched, he shared with the group my accuracy. And, and um, the intellectuals got into this debate. And the debate was, was Robert really being clairvoyant or was he just being telepathic? Come on. Um, come on. And, and, and I got mad. You know, I got, you know, and this one guy, was he just being telepathic? And I grabbed one of the blotters, you know, and I came over to the guy and said, let's see you just be telepathic, you know, and his face turned. <laughs> You know, then, like, then like, like like one 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 extra sensory perception is more valid or more yeah valid than another. That well, well, that's right. Now, what does it matter that it could have been? Um, oh, what's it called when you hold something? I just forget. It, it'll come back. That's what happens when you're seventy. You, you like forget somewhere. No, um, no, it's yeah. That's yeah. Um, it it was. Uh, um anyway that that'll also come to me in a, in in a manner there there was um That's no it it, no 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 Is it's it? it's not that technical it's it's um it, it, it'll come to me so um when i'm doing a reading or or when i was at the tea room in in those days um sometimes i would lose what I was going to talk about, I'd lose the connection. So I would um, shake hands with the person because I would feel their energy. Um, and then I would get turned or tuned back in, or I would pick something up that was theirs um, or hold their keys or whatever. Um, we also did experiments from the ROM. That's the uh, Royal Ontario Museum. And, and, you know, some of the workers from the ROM would bring um, artifacts into the into um, the institute, and 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 I would hold something in my hands um, and feel the vibes from it, and I would describe where it came from, and and what it was used for, and and um, I never worried about what it was called, I was interested in giving the information. And so I've done remote viewing. I had, there was, there was one time where I got called to um, help find um, two lost children. And um, they'd been kidnapped. And, and and they'd been murdered 
And I saw where they were and I saw what happened to them. And I saw it, sensed it, and felt it. Now, I was just doing my job and I was focusing on and following the energy and doing what was obvious to me. I didn't know that was remote viewing. And it didn't matter. I got the answer. That's what I looked for. And I'm still trying to remember the name of that bloody technique of holding something in. It'll come to me shortly. Um, but you would hold something in, in your hand. And there are people that do readings by taking somebody's keys or, mm -hmm. or, and well, what, what does it matter what it's called? Just do it. That's what really is important. It doesn't matter if something's uh, beings talking through you, just give the information. Well, that's how I think anyway, but just gave away the secret. <laughs> but obviously, you know, there is more, like, even though with the knowledge of knowing how to do it, it takes practice, right? I mean, I've interviewed a lot of, of, of different types of psychics, and I've noticed the ones that have been doing it the longest typically are the ones that are the best. Isn't that true with everything? I think so. so yeah. Um, the better, the more you work at it, the better you are at it. So I was 15 and a half when I started, and over my almost 59-year career, I've done more than 100,000 psychic connections. And we were talking just before, you know, we started the interview and um, as and, and we were talking about my uh, quadruple bypass open heart surgery I had in April. And what what we were what what, what I started talking about was was. Um, um, I'm not fucking talking about just hang on. Um, we, I was, I was talking about from the time I had the surgery, which mm -hmm. was April sixth to mid May, was the longest time that I went without doing a psychic reading, and so that was what five weeks, six weeks, and that has been since I was. 15 and a half years old. When I was around 21, I heard when a young man becomes a priest, they make a vow to say a mass every day of their life. And I decided that if this is what I'm going to do, I made a vow that I would do a psychic reading or practice doing a psychic reading every day of my life. And I made it more than 30 years without missing a day of practice. And when I didn't, you know, there one time I deliberately didn't practice or do a reading because I wanted to feel or understand what it felt like not to do a psychic reading. And then when I got sick or when I had the surgery, was the longest in my career that I missed 
a day of practice or uh, or doing a reading. It was an interesting experience, so I t- can tell you. Hmm. What was that like you for know? you? Did you miss it? Did you were you ever afraid that you might lose some of? Not your- a chance in the world. You never lose it. Um, <laughs> or did you enjoy it? Or like, ah, this is a relief. I was I was too busy um, um, surviving, having having my heart exposed to the air, mm-hmm. um, having having the veins taken out of my leg and putting them in my heart. I was I was too um, focused on that really to worry about uh, doing readings, but. Near the end of that time, and and I was also uh, hurting a lot. I was in a lot of pain. Um, near the end, um, I started thinking about it and started missing it. Oh, and incidentally, my surgery was April 6th. I worked full time and I did readings right up until about eight o'clock of the of of the evening of um, September uh, April 5th. Yeah, and I worked right up until the night before. Um, and then I then when you know, as we got it closer to mid-May, I, I did start thinking about doing readings. And I did a few practice ones before you, you know, I started um you know, doing ones for other, you know, for for real or or you know, for my regular clients. And Oh wow, the first one was just it it was so hard to do. And and it was so hard to do because it took so much energy. I never realized how much energy it took actually to do a psychic reading until that day. Now, I did a pretty good reading, um, and and how I would say I did a pretty good reading or a good reading was, would I have charged for it? And I would have because it was it it lived up to all the criteria of 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 what I set as as my standard. Um, but oh the amount of energy it took. And um, when I finished that reading, you, you know, I went to bed and slept for like 12 hours straight. Um, that, that's how much. And then, and then the next day I did another one. Um, and that wasn't quite as draining. And then I did another one and another one and another one and uh, worked myself back into shape. And it was glorious. Hmm. You're back to 100% now? No, I'm a long way from it. Okay, so 100%. Um, let me qualify that because there's more than just uh, you're back to 100%. Mm-hmm. Am I back to 100% in terms of energy? No. Am I back in 100% in terms of the standard? Mm-hmm. Um, yes. So instead of doing five readings a day, Every day, I um, do about, well, I said I was only going to do one a day, but then, and then it's two, and and sometimes I, I do three, but three takes a lot. But three, 
a day, um, five days a week or, you know, six, but, but then there's also my practice time as well. And, and um, so I, 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 I'm, I'm working um, my way back to, in, in, into shape and I, I, I'm not sure if I've ever told you this. I'm, I, I'm pretty open about it. But um, one of the things that I've discovered since I came out of my semi-retirement, by the way, uh, which was a few years ago, um, I am the only psychic in the world so far that I've met that guarantees their work forever. So if I do a reading for you, I guarantee you from that moment and until the ending of my life or yours, hopefully yours first, um, that um, you will always believe the service, the reading I did for you was of high quality, of value, and was correct and accurate. If not, I give you back your money. And there's no questions asked, no argument. So I could do, could have done a reading for you 30 years ago, and I could have, could have done it 50 years ago, and I could have. And and um, if somebody came to me and said, you know, you did a reading for me 35 years ago, and I didn't like it, or I don't think it was of value, I say, I'm sorry. Um here's your money back. So I don't give today's money back though. Mm -hmm. You don't get, you don't get the bread you paid me today for what I did 50 years ago or 30 years ago. I give the person's principal back. But if I did it yesterday and the person says it sucked, then, then I give them that money back and no questions asked. And I do it for a lot of reasons. Um, it ends the problem it's over and and that person whatever they say well oh that milton guy you know well he did a shitty reading for me oh but he gave me my money back oh and it, it just he just gave it back okay problem solved um whatever negative energy happened it ends so i did it that now that's why i do it today the reason i started doing that was my father, um, he only died a couple of years ago. My father used to say to me that he would go to his grave believing his only son was a fraud and a charlatan. And he would say, I was the only guy he ever met that never had a job. And I wanted his approval for so many years. I set a standard that was beyond um, anything or anyone that I knew of and that I could do. And it was to prove to my father I was legitimate. Um, I made it to, I was about 50. And, and and when I accepted the fact that he was never going to um, see what I do 
um, and accept it. And, but I set the standard so that I could win that approval. I kept the standard because I like having the standard. So that that's that's and and there are a lot of things in my life that I put such a high standard to uh, that it was because I wanted my dad, um, my father, to see how hard I work, um, how committed I am, and how bloody good I am because of the work, and and. Um, and I realized I could never get it. And I stopped trying for him. But I, 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 I continue to make, you know, maintain the standard now. And I'm really glad that um, I worked so hard to win his approval because I won the approval for me. And And I didn't realize all those years ago that how special it is to have the standard and the values and the morals I have. I'm and and and, and I never realized, and it, it turned out to be a wonderful, amazing gift I gave to myself. Yeah, I can make it one. What is amazing the extent that we'll go through try to win the approval of our parents. Absolutely. And, and during that process of trying to do it, whether we, we get it or not, it makes us better people and gives Absolutely. us our own approval of ourselves. Absolutely. Yeah. And and at this stage in my life, um, I can say I've never met anyone in this business, in this work, that guarantees their work forever. I, I've, I've never met anybody. And anytime I talk about it, um, people say, I've never heard of that before. Yes. And I'm so proud of that standard that I demand of myself. <laughs> yeah. I still haven't remembered what it's called by holding the thing in your hand, <laughs> but it's going to come to me eventually. It'll come to me. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I mean, you're definitely, I mean, you and I have been friends now for like almost three years. Yes, sir. And, and you know, and you've done me some favors. And, and when you've, everything that you've done for me, a piece of information that you've offered or whatever has been correct. You're always, it's always. I didn't do any favors for you, Gary. I just simply shared what I have with someone I like a whole lot. Hmm. It's not a favor. It's being a friend. Okay. Thanks okay. for being my friend, man. And and there, there's no counting. I, I Well, I don't count. I don't either. Yeah. <laughs> I, just, I just, like, like yeah. we were talking earlier, Yeah, this is what I do. Yep. I don't think about it. I don't wait for it. Right. You know, right. People will say, say, what kind of podcast do you have? I don't know. I just do it. Yeah. When I became you know when i came out of my semi retirement um yours was one of the very first shows and i think um i was one of the very first guests you were you were like in my, yeah. my first 10 or first 20 episodes yeah yeah 
And I think this is what five or six that, that I've been on. Probably more than that. I think. I think we're. I think we're over ten now. Is it? Oh, okay. And it's 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 always fine talking with you. Um, you you know. Um, I'll remember holding what it'll come to me. It's on the tip of my tongue. It'll it'll come to me. Um, It's and anyway, yes. So, all right. What do you want to talk about? So I'm thinking, or throw a throw a lob at me if you want. Since you were so close to death, I don't know if this was the closest to death that you've ever been, or at least close to death that you've been since I've known you. With how the surgery, it, yeah. How did it affect you? Like, 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 did it switch your perception a little bit? You know, did you did you face death in the eyes? Um, anything oh, like that? Any okay, type of mystical experience. What happened? Uh, No. Um, When I found out that that, um, I was going to have open heart surgery, um, I I, I can tell you what I wasn't. I wasn't afraid. I wasn't nervous. Mm -hmm. I didn't worry about dying. what how i was facing it and it is how i think um i have had the most amazing life i have seen experienced lived every moment and and the moments have been full and if i would have died on the operating table or if I would have died during after-surgery treatment, I was okay because this has been an amazing ride. I didn't want it to end, but if it did, I'm okay. It didn't, so it was also okay. And um, it became another experience to add into um, my life experience and has made me broader, awareer, um, more sensitive, more experienced. The more aware I am, the broader my experience, the better psychic I am as well. Mm. Because very few people that do this work will admit it, but I, you know, I piss some people off in my field by the way I speak, but I don't, well, I don't care. Um, but, but, um, no matter whether someone is a channeler, a intuitive, a psychic, a tea leaf reader, um, and anything in terms of doing readings. Everything they see and everything they express, whether it's from spirit, as they say, or how cards or tarot, what they're seeing is something that they have experienced themselves. Because even channelers, this will piss them off, even channelers, um, 
when spirits speak through somebody, they use that person's body and they use that person's brain. And they can only, the, the whatever or whoever is channeling through that channeler is using that being's brain and the information and life experience that's in that person's brain. So the limitation is how much you experience that you've had in your life. The more experience, the more you can compare with, oh, I've seen this before. That's part of being psychic. And you can only see and acknowledge what's what you've experienced. Wow. What? Does that piss people off? No, man. I don't like, say like this. One of the most profound things I think you've ever said. Oh, is it? Yeah. So uh, now, now it will be a variation, but you have to have something to compare it with. Because if you don't know what an apple is, you can't tell somebody you're going to choke on an apple. Or you love apples, or you want to make an apple pie. You have to have had the experience in your brain. Now, you don't have to remember it consciously, but it's got to be there because we always see in others what's in us. We always see things from our point of view. So the broader the experience, the greater the awareness. You know, I, I tell this story about um, this man has this um, uh, factory run on uh, boilers. And, and he's doing really well, making a lot of money. He's really successful. And one day he comes to work and all of the boilers are off. And he hires a bunch of people to come in that can't, can't fix the boilers. And he hears about this old guy that lives down the street. That's a boiler maker. And um, he calls this guy and the old guy comes in and um, he's got his tools over his shoulder and he walks in the building um, and he starts looking at the boilers and then he walks around the shop and looks at the different pipes and things like that. And then all of a sudden he stops, put, put, put his, put his tools down, pulls out a hammer. He walks over to this pipe and he whacks the pipe as hard as he can. Bam. And the pipe starts to rattle. And then all the pipes around it start to rattle. And then all the way, all the way down. And then all of a sudden, all the boilers come on. And the owner says, that's great. How much, how much is your bill? The guy says 10,050 bucks. The owner says 10,050 bucks for hitting a pipe. And the um, uh, boilermaker says, uh, no, sir. Um, it costs $50 to hit, the, to hit a pipe. It costs $10,000 to know when and where to hit the pipe. And that's called experience and awareness. That also can be called being psychic too. Hmm. 
it's, it's funny too. Like the one of the things that popped in my head when we were talking about the channelers and all of that is we can only the only language we have to communicate with is what we know. Absolutely. So even if a spirit's telling us one thing, we have to try and transfer that into a language that we already know or absolutely 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 that's and correct I, I think sometimes like that's how information also gets a little twisted up sometimes I absolutely think, in the psychic process that's absolutely. why i think like from what i've learned is it's just best to give raw data I now, at this time in my life, while am really focused on being accurate and specific, mm -hmm. I also do my best to keep um, my statements open ended, so that so that what I may be comparing in my unconscious mind mm -hmm. to this person. If I tell them what I think of what um, a log looks like um, and think of it as a wood wooden log, and I say, oh, wow, this wooden log, rather than describe it to them, then I could be telling them something totally different than the way they interpret it. Right. So I like to be as accurate and detailed, but I also like to have it more open-ended and i also believe that we have free choice and free will um to to choose and experience whatever it is that we want and and it's free choice you think that free choice is a hundred percent or do you think it's like maybe 50 percent free will 50 percent fate ah that's an interesting question. I believe that destiny cannot be changed. So I, I'll, I'll give you an example of destiny cannot be changed and, you know, how I that brought me to this conclusion. And this was back in um, the 1980s. And it was when um, the the. Um, the uh, Olympic Winter Games were in Calgary, Alberta, and 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 I was pretty successful at that time. I was appearing on a on a uh, daily uh, TV show. I wasn't the star of the show, but I was a monthly guest on the most the highest rated daytime TV show uh, in, in in the country, and I was on there once a month. I did it for like five years. And um, this woman came to me for a reading, and, and I was—I thought I was really hot shit in those days, you know. And and um, not that I was arrogant or anything, but but I certainly, maybe I was a little bit. So anyway, so anyway, I was I was doing a reading for this woman, and um, she was a um, producer for the CTV uh, television network, Canadian, uh, uh, the, the Canadian uh, TV network. And uh, she was at the Olympic Games. She was a producer of the shows. And she'd only been back a few days. And she came to me for a reading. And I did this really great reading for her. And um, I can't remember her name, and I don't remember 
what she looked like because it was, you know, 50,000 readings ago or 40,000, but the situation. So I did this reading for her. I was very comfortable with the reading. I was recording on cassette tapes then. And in those days, if I accepted the reading, I would always sign it first before I would I would give the reading to that person and take their money. And I signed it and I was really proud of my work. Um, she had ridden her bicycle to my place and she was riding home. The next night on TV, and in Canada, the the national news comes on at 11 o'clock, or it did in those days. And the star of um, the, the TV, uh, the, the newsman, was um, Lloyd Robertson. And uh, he came on CTV. And partway through, they did an obituary. And it was the woman I had done a reading for the day before. And on her way home, we got hit by a streetcar. We have, you can call them trolley cars, but we have streetcars here in Toronto. And she got hit by a trolley car, a streetcar, and got killed. On the way home, after I'd done this reading for her. And I was shocked. And I thought, you know, I, I went through hell. Um, if you're so bloody good, Milne, how could you miss something like that? And I really beat myself up for a long time. And then I realized that destiny cannot be changed. And if something occurs and you can see it, you can change it. So destiny cannot be changed. But if you can see something, then you can change it. And that's the way I found peace for missing that. Does that answer your question? So you, you think it's a little bit of both, I think. I don't think it's a little bit of both at all. So, um, so you think if, if, if we can see it, we can change it. If we can't see absolutely. it, we can't change it? That's correct. But can we, we can control what we see? If something is destined, you can't change it. So I'll never be able to see what's destined. That's correct. So then well, or be able to change it. So um, I'm just trying to remember this woman's name. Um, she was a famous astrologer. Um, uh, it'll, it'll come to me during the 50s, 60s, 70s. And she predicted um, JFK's murder. But she couldn't get to him. She couldn't get past um, Jane. No, um, it, it, this, this one will come to me. Anyway, um, she tried and tried and tried and tried and couldn't get to him to warn him. And then he got killed. 
uh, Jean Dixon was her name. Um, and uh, incidentally, a friend of mine, um, uh, Eugenia Last, um, when Jane Dixon uh, herself died, uh, Jeannie, or Canadian astrologer, she got all 600 newspapers uh, that that Jean Dixon's column were in. And, and uh, one of my friends and contemporaries uh, took over and and uh, still writes um, the the astrology columns for uh, several hundred newspapers around the world. So Jean Dixon made this prediction that JFK was going to get murdered in Dallas, um, but she couldn't get the information to him to change it. So yeah, you could see it, but you can't you you can't get to it to to change it because then it's not destiny. So a very confusing situation. We have destiny. We have true true will. All you always have free choice time. and free will unless it's destined and it's carved into um, your being and and that yes. And See, that, I'm, I'm starting to think, you know, this has been a pretty recent thing for me, is that we get to, we do, we have, we have 100% free will. I think, like, but I think it's all about training ourselves to focus. Well, well, we only have free choice and free will within the structure and boundaries of what our physical being can do, can do. I don't even know if that's true. I mean, those yogis. Well, okay. Can you hold your breath for five hours underwater and live? Nope. Okay. So you're restricted <laughs> to the boundaries that we have. Maybe. Well, prove it, man. I can't. Oh, okay. All right. All right. All if right. I, I'm not, okay. I'm not, that's why I'm just giving it a maybe. I'm okay. Maybe. I, I just, I just wanted to argue with well, you. But, you but, but I do think well, that's that, what that, you want to do, right? No, you know. no, never argue with you. But sure I just, you do. no. <laughs> no. Yes, just, you do. This is idea. Like, Go I, ahead, I, say no. You don't. Yes, you, you do. Don't. See, we do. <laughs> uh, messing with me. Now. <laughs> <laughs> but but okay, I, so, we, yeah. in a way, I'm thinking though. What I'm saying is though, is we we create our own reality by choosing what we focus on. Absolutely. So we're, so so you have destiny, you have free will, and then you have co-creating. What is it? Like co like being a creator of our reality or co-creating a reality with uh, another consciousness. Okay, I, 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 I've never heard of that or thought of that, so do you want to explain it? Uh, why, or, or did you just invent it when you just now? I might have. Okay. <laughs> I have a tough time trying to figure out reality. So did you really? Yeah, um, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's real. I don't know if it's a dream. I don't know what we're living in. Weird cosmic bubble. One, oh, well, um, my dogs are being taken out professionally for a walk, mm -hmm. and uh, Dan is here. But the and um, well, told Dan two of my dogs were saying hi, hi, Dan. 
Um, he's he's walking um, uh, Tyson and uh, Lacey and my 14 year old uh, Golden. Well, 14 years and nine months. Um, she's gonna. No, she's not gonna. Uh, she's she's gonna stay home. I'll take her for a, a shorter walk because when you're um, 14 years and nine months and you're a golden retriever, that is like being 99 or 95 when you're a human. Um, Does that ever stress you out? Pardon? See, I'd be stressed out if I had an old dog. Why? Because it upsets me that they don't live as long as we do. I don't want to lose them. I will cry my heart out when she dies. So here's the solution. Don't have a dog. No, don't have a dog. Okay. All right. So accept the reality that one day she will, my dog, my dogs will complete their life just as I will, just as you will. Um, accept it and live every day in the moment. And live it for the fullest. Mm. Or not. You know, you were talking about earlier, like we were talking about going into the surgery, not being afraid of being, you know. Of dying, like yes. Basically, I'm thinking like, the guy's grateful. Yes. Usually when someone is afraid of getting old or afraid of dying is because they haven't lived their life fully. That, that's the reason. Now, now, you know, I'm not standing on, you, you know, a mountain looking down and saying, ah, oh, you, you, you know, you losers. That, that's mm -hmm. not, not the case. What, 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 what I'm saying is what I've noticed, including, you know, when you see a 50-year-old man with a 23-year-old woman, um, sorry, 23-year-old girl, young, okay, um, there's somebody that did not live their life um, and did not mature and grow. And vice versa. Hmm. Um, because it is unnatural for, for things like that. You, you know, it's just... Um, you know, they're it, it's incidentally my father's wife, um, after my mother and he broke up, they were, um, they were more than, um, I think she was, well, he was 48 and uh, she was 18 when they met 30 year difference, yeah, that's drastic, uh, yes. It was interesting, uh, you know, she did stay with him. You know, he died at, I think, 92. Um, and she did stay with him. Um, I saw the results of what a trophy bride looks like if they spend the whole time with the guy. Mm. What a switch. What a difference. But when, you know, when you um, are afraid of dying, when when it's it's usually because you haven't lived and experienced um your life that's that's the way it is yes. and um it's interesting when people 
don't experience or live their life. Um, I often meet with people that have come to me for a reading. And um, you see, I believe we have free choice and free will to do anything we want. Um, there is a rule with that, though. And that rule is, um, well, one, we have to be accountable. I also believe there is no right or wrong or good or bad. There's experience. And in that experience, because that is the purpose of our life, to experience all things on all levels. And we have free choice and free will to experience anything we want. However, on this planet, in this solar system, in, in, in this universe that we live in, we have accountability. But we have free choice and free will to do anything we want. The rule with that, it's absolute, is what we will do one way, we will do equally the opposite. That's mm -hmm. it. So, so I meet with people and they have a terrible marriage. And they they're awful at hate it. They hate their wife or their part, their 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 husband, or you know, blah 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 blah. And then you say, Well, the answer is leave. Oh, I can't do that. Yeah, you can. Oh no, I can't. I'll have no, yeah, you can. Oh, yeah, but you can leave. So often people live their sad life or their life that's unfulfilled because they won't do anything about it, not that they can't. So we have free choice and free will to live our life any way we wish. So if you're a sad ass your whole life, you've chosen it. <laughs> what? It's good. <laughs> And now I'm going to be hearing from people, well, I'm a sad ass <laughs> and I didn't choose it. Yeah, you did. Uh, it kind of hits me too, because I mean, I'm, I've been a sad ass kid part of the time that we've known. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, um, and, and, you know, um, we can live one of two ways. We can be part of the problem or we can be part of the solution. You can't be both. So when you're part of the problem, all you think about is the problem. When you're part of the solution, you only look for the answers. Because as soon as you start looking at the problem, it will pull you away from the answers. There is no in-between. Part of the problem, part of the solution. That's now, what, That's what I was saying. It's, it's what we focus on. Absolutely. Now, what I have come up with is, is sometimes you'll say, oh, well, that problem is insurmountable. Well, wait a sec. Wait, 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 wait. Um, Instead of saying, oh, it's not possible, come up with a way that 
is possible, even though it has a 1% chance of being possible. But when you have, okay, so um, let's say um, you've got a financial problem and you owe $100,000 and you got to pay it um, or else you're going to, something happen to you. Well, you go to the bank, the bank says no, you go to friends, you try to get a mortgage, blah, 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 nothing happens. So then what you do is you go see Tony Soprano. And then Tony Soprano says, yeah, I'll give you the bread. Well, just because you can solve the problem uh, doesn't mean that it's worth it to take that money from Tony Soprano, but you could do it. Now you have the answer and then Instead of looking at, no, bring it back a little bit. Well, so I'll, I'll give, the very first time I bought a house, um, um, my, my partner and I, we were out. We, didn't, we had no plans to buy a house this particular day. Uh, we were driving around. We saw this place. There was a, um, a, an open house. We went in. Wow, we loved it. And that day we decided to buy it. You know, I wasn't drunk or stoned either. But anyway, we decided to buy it and we bought it. Um, and we bought it conditional on financing. We had nothing prepared. We didn't have that much money put aside. We, we had nothing organized. And I had two weeks to come up with the bread, the financing. And I went to a bunch of banks and they said, what do you do for a living? You know, I'm a psychic. Oh yeah. Well, good luck, Charlie. Okay. So um, I then went to see a friend of mine and she said, um, well, by the way, she was a mortgage broker and she said, okay, you, you need a second mortgage. Um, and she said, if you can find somebody that will give you a second mortgage. I and she said, this is weird, but if you can find somebody that will give you a second mortgage, I guarantee you, you'll be able to get a first mortgage because you'll have the down payment. So I went out and found somebody that would give me a second mortgage. But it was terrible. It was an awful mortgage. In fact, it would have the only thing that could have made it worse was Tony Soprano was the loan was, <laughs> was 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 the guy giving me the money. But I had my house. If I wanted it that bad. Mm -hmm. But then I went to a couple of banks that turned me down. And two of the three I went to offered me a mortgage, but instead of having the second mortgage, they took the whole thing and I didn't have to have a Tony Soprano-like second mortgage. But I had it if I wanted to take it. And once I did that, I could ratchet, ratchet it back to make it fit something 
that would work for me. Mm-hmm. So when you focus on the solution, you get it. If you go back to the problem, oh, fuck, man, I just can't get it. You know, nobody will give it to me. Well, yeah, they will. You just, it just might not be worth it. But if you want it, you can get it. And that's being part of the solution. And that's positive thinking. Exactly. Where did we go from there? How did that happen? How did we get into this? I don't you got, know. You got me on a roll again. You always do that to me. I know. Yeah, you know. Oof. So, psycho. Uh, uh, okay, a a um. Uh, it's coming to It's it's a um. It's not psychokinetic. It's. Um, what somebody, the real word, another um, word for, not a word, uh, the job um, is somebody that has a master's degree in psychology and they test people, psychometry, psychometrist. That is somebody that holds something in their hands and feels the energy. That's called psychometry. Oh, Okay, so I remember one time I was about 20. So that's how I worked it out. I, 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 so anyway, um, so a psychometrist is, is a psychologist that does testing on people that, you, you know, when you go and have all these, you know, assessment tests. Uh, I had just left the tea room. So I was, you know, 21, 22. And I saw an ad in the newspaper for at McGill University Mm -hmm. uh, for a psychometrist. So I went and applied because I I was a psychometrist. I was doing, you know, psychometric uh, readings on blood spots and holding people's. I didn't get the job, but but um, yeah, I don't know why. So so psychometrist is the word. I told you I'd come up with it eventually. <laughs> it was being a psychi- um, psychometrist. Wow. Yes, that's what it's called. See, we couldn't but, end, we could not end this episode until you figured that one out. Well, there you go, and you 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 obliged me. So, um, um, the point that that I was making is it's irrelevant what it's called. It's get the answer. Never mind what it is, get the answer rather than put the label on it. Because when you're thinking about the label, you don't get the answer. Mm-hmm. And, and you eliminate your options because you're looking down like one alley. Absolutely. That's correct. And and then, um, you know, I've had people, you know, come to me, well, are you a channel or, well, no. Uh, oh, okay. I'm looking for a channeler. Oh, okay. Um, but do I get energy or uh, do I get impressed by um, entities? Yep, I do. Am I a channeler? What does it matter? Um, I'll give you the answer. Um, are you a remote viewer? No. Uh, h- however, um, I found lost people. Most of them have been dead. Um, I have found things. I see things. Am I a cha- am, am I a remote viewer? No, I'm a psychic. It it doesn't matter. I look for the answer. 
Mm -hmm. Awesome. So become aware of what's obvious and, and then more. And that's correct. Keep expanding it outward. Absolutely. Um, do I see the future? Am I am I um, clairvoyant? No. Do I see the future? Yeah. Not to be confused with fortune teller. Do I tell fortunes? Well, some people think so. I don't <laughs> like it, but but it doesn't matter. The point is, like like that guy said to me more than fifty years ago. How many words a minute? I asked. Um, can you write? And he said, I don't know. I write down what they say. And I thought, wow. What I do is find the answer. So there we are. Full circle. This is like the, was the perfect episode. Oh, was it? Okay. Don't you think so? I mean, we went completely all the way around back to where we started. Um, I certainly, I, I seem to have gone on a rant or two. I thought it was fantastic. <laughs> Thank you, Gary. Thank you, Gary. <laughs> um, one of the things I'm really impressed with is your tolerance with the things and uh, and the way people tear up your last name. <laughs> I let you tolerate I it. Oh, do you? No, no, no. Right. I, right. You know, you know. Right, just, 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 just think of it this way: it's C O C C, right? But it's spelled Koch. But everybody says cock. Who wouldn't find that funny? Well, I did. I found it funny. It was right. I think it's funny every time. All my life is still funny to me. So my name, well, Robert Lindsay Milne, but, but my last name is Milne. And um, that's the English way of saying it. Mm -hmm. Um, most of my ancestry, my DNA is more Scottish, and the Scots say Millen. I'm okay with being called Robert Lindsay Millen, although I do like Milne best. Mm. Americans say Milne. I fucking hate that. Oh, yeah. But, but there's put that E uh, on it. That spells oh, that E as an E. That's right. So, so, um, there, there's nothing that I can do about that except I. In, in, you know, gently, in, in, you know, inform them that it's actually known. Yes. But but you're so much more flexible. Like, um, I've always thought your name was Cachalillo, and I made real certain that that's how I pronounce it, Cachalillo. It's Cachalillo. And here's another one. Um, I do my best to pronounce people's names the way they pronounce them. And, and, you know, in my work, I see, you know, and, and in Canada or, or you know, cause I mostly stay here now uh, in Canada, we have the most diverse uh, population in the world. And Toronto is the most culturally diverse city in the world by proclamation of the uh, United Nations. So, we have so many people with so many different names. I make a special effort to say the person's name, first and last name, the way they say it. Now, there are some names that I cannot say because 
the way the letters I put together looks like an eye chart and, and my tongue isn't in my, you know, my tongue muscles and my, my mouth, the muscles aren't developed to go in that area, but I do my best to make sure that I show the person how hard I'm trying to, you know, to pronounce their name correctly. And I'll take extra time before the reading starts because I always put the name, you know, like, you know, this is um, uh, what, Thursday, uh, June uh, 15, 2023, psychic reading for uh, Gary Cacciolillo by Robert Lindsay Milne and Turner. Well, I'll spend 10 minutes doing that over and over and over again to get it right. Um, before I'll start doing the person's reading. Sometimes I can't, and then I apologize because my belief is if I can't put the effort in to say somebody's name correctly, I don't have the right to talk to them about their personal life and um, their inner self. Yeah. That's just my way of showing respect. Makes sense. Yeah. All right, so we got to wrap it up. I'm wrapped. You're wrapped? Oh, yeah. Right. So where can I people, agree. where can my listeners find you? You can find me on, uh, well, my website, www.robertlindsaymilne.com. You can find me on my my podcast. It's called My Side of the Crystal Ball, and that's on iHeart UK Paranormal uh, um Apple, Spotify, and as they say, anywhere else you listen to your your, your podcasts. Um, let's see where else. There's a bunch of other places. Um, YouTube, uh, um, uh, Facebook. Uh, I can't believe all these things that I'm that I'm doing. You know, like you know, after uh, like I said, after 59 years on the job, I'm an overnight success. It's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'll put the links up in the notes of this episode so my listeners can find you. And uh, please, love to hear from you. Always. I'm always bothering you. Like once a week, I bo bother you. Oh, do you? I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. Really? Oh, thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm really touched. Thank you, Gary. Anytime. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks you for being on. And hang on for a moment. I'm just going to play the outro. Thank you for listening to Everything Imaginable. You can reach Gary at everythingimaginable2020.com or message him at everythingimaginable2020 at gmail.com. He's also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can buy t-shirts, coffee mugs, and other merchandise to support the cost of producing this podcast. Click on the merchandise link at the top of this page, www.everythingimaginable2020.com. You can also buy the book, Enlightenment Guaranteed. It's the only book on the phone that you'll ever need. You can find it on Amazon. The world change your life. Because remember, everything that it says was first imagined. Thank you.
Psychometric. 